All right, continuing in 1 John, God is light. In 1 John chapter 2, we're going to be in tonight, verses 12 to 17. Now, I know we got a meeting after church, so I'm going to be, try to be short tonight, keep it under 45 minutes, because I know we got a meeting, so pray for me. I said try, all right? So 1 John chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Um, so let's start reading. First John chapter 2, starting at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, John is known as, as the apostle of love, right? And so when you read his writings, he talks about love a lot. He, he talks about intimacy a lot with God, with each other. So you, you see a lot of uh, terms like that in John's writings. And we see it here. He uses um, family terms to describe um, uh, the, the people he's talking to. He said, I'm writing to little children. And that word is a, um, it means a, it's a term of, of affection and endearment. Um, it's a figure of, of language that he uses, that a teacher uses for one of his disciples, or one of his students, little children. The Greek word is technion, and that's what it means. Uh, and it says, I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been, have been forgiven on account of his name. So he's talking to these young, young children. He's talking to, um, some believe, uh, scholars think he's talking to the whole church as a whole, um, but he's telling them, I'm writing to you. Um, uh, because your sins have been forgiven. And that's the first thing you recognize when you become saved. You realize and get an understanding that your sins have been forgiven by, by God, whom you've offended all of your life. <laughs> and God has decided to forgive your sins. So he said, I'm writing to you um, because your sins have been forgiven. And then he says, why? He says, on account of his name. Our sins are forgiven not because of our faithfulness or because we've been so good, but for Christ's glory and because of him, what he did. The Bible says salvation is of the Lord. You know, so our sins have been forgiven on account of his name, for his glory, um, for our good, but for his glory. And so John is reminding them of that. He says, little children, I'm writing to you since your sins have been forgiven. That's why I'm writing. He's, a, he's assuring, them, assuring them of their salvation. You know, he's assuring them that you are saved. Your sins have been forgiven. I'm assuring you of your salvation. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And then he says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Now, he says, fathers, young men, and children. And most scholars think that he's talking about the three um, uh, um, spiritual stages of believers. Fathers, young men, and children. Mature believers, he says, I'm writing to you, fathers, and it represents those who are mature right? So the spiritually mature believers. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And when you're mature, it means you're experienced. You've, and these fathers, spiritually mature Christians, have had experience with God. And, and those who are mature um, have had experiences with God. They know, they've come to know him and able, be able to trust him. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning, God who is eternal. He says, I'm writing to you young men 
because you have conquered the evil one. Now, young men are, these are no longer children, but they're not fathers either. They're in that middle stage, you know, um, adolescence, if you will, uh, spiritual adolescence, if you will, all right? Um, they, they've, they've gone through experience, um, I'm sorry, they have not yet, they're not yet fathers, but they're spiritual adolescents. They know sound doctrine, you know, they, they're, they're, their doctrine is good, you know, those are the ones who are energized in their Christian living, these young men who are strong. They know sound doctrine, but they're not, they're not babies, but they're not mature. They're like a 15, 16-year-old teenager, you know. So he said, I'm writing to you too. And he says, I'm writing to you because you have conquered the evil one. They've had some experiences with the, with the devil and they've overcome, you know, even at, even at a young age. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. Then he says, I have written to you children because you have come to know the Father. And so he, 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 he repeats himself here. He says, the children, first of all, your sins have been given. Now, this, this word children here is a different word than the other word. This word children here um, uh, uh, is a different word than, than, than the first word. This word children is pateon, and it refers to a young child. Believers who are immature, they're deficient in their spiritual understanding. All right, so baby Christians, people who just got saved six months ago. You know, they don't really know anything. You know, so he's, he's referring to them. He said, I've written to you children because you have come to know the Father. And then he goes back to the fathers. I've written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who's from the beginning. He says the same thing to the mature uh, believers. You've known him from the beginning. You've got experience with God. And, some, and, and if you notice, he says, first of all, he says, I am writing, I am writing. And then he says, I have written. And, and most people think that he's just either reemphasizing or when he says, I am writing, he's, he's speaking from his own perspective, his writing. And then when he says, I have written, it's from the reader's perspective. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm writing to you. And then he says, I have written. Okay. Because you have come to know the Father. I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you're strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. He says, he written to the young man because he says, first of all, you're strong. That's not just physically strong. I mean spiritually strong, all right? Um, God's word remains in you. See, they had the word in them. That's why they were strong. What makes us strong is the word of God. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, the Bible says, all right? So we're strong because of the word of God. Psalm 119, uh, let's look at that. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping your word? That's how we do. We keep our way pure by keeping the Word of God. Young men, listen. If you want to be, grow up to be strong, spiritually strong, everybody in here, this is how you do it. Young women, this is how you do it. How can you keep it, your way pure? How can I abstain from sexual morality by keeping His Word? How can I abstain from um, immoral behavior by keeping His Word? By keeping His Word. And he says that to the young men in particular, because, you know, even in that culture, young, the young people are, the, the, the devil really is after young, immature people. He wants to get them before they, he doesn't want you to become mature. He doesn't want you to grow up. Children are, are easy access to people because they're immature. They can't fight back. You know, I'm talking about physical children. But when you become mature, it's, easy, it's, it's easy to, easier to kidnap a child than it is an adult. And so he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. Um, and Ephesians 6 talks about um, the word of God, uh, uh, having the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword, the word of God is referred to as a weapon, as a sword. And that's how we, we yield it against the enemy, not against each other, <laughs> 
against the enemy, the word of God. And when Jesus was tempted, what did he use to defeat the enemy? He used the word of God. And we have to use the same thing. We're tempted to use other things, but we have to use the word of God. Amen? Okay, all right. Um, I have written to you, young men, because God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. He reminded them again of the victory they've had already against the enemy. And that's an encouragement. You've already um, had victory over him. Excuse me. Uh, And he just reminded them of that again. And, you know, interestingly, children in this verse is referred to anybody under the age of 20 in that culture. And, And so, you know, it's like, and young men were people who were 40 and under. So 35 was considered a young man. Wow, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, but so, diff- that, so even at that age, they were con- still considered young. Timothy was a young man. All right? Okay, because God's words remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. And then he says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. He says, do not love the world. The word uh, world has three different uses in, in the Bible. Uh, the universe itself, the physical world, um, the world of men, for God so loved the world, that's the world of people, the world of men, but also a world system. There's a system that the Bible talks about, the world system. And he says, do not love the world. And he's referring to not the physical world, not the world of men. We are to love people. And it's okay to even, even have a, a, a love and appreciation for the physical universe. You know, that's okay. You know, I mean, we don't want to become uh, tree huggers, but, you know, we, that's an extreme. <laughs> but at the same time, you, it's okay to, to, to admire the beauty of the physical world. God had left that here for us to enjoy. So we can love the universe in that sense. Um, and we ought to love people, uh, the world of men. We ought to love them um, uh, just like God does. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the world of people. But here he's talking about the system, this system that is in the world. He says, do not love the world, the cosmos, the organized system that's headed up by Satan himself. This world system is headed up by Satan himself. It leaves God out and it rivals him. This world system rivals God. It is anti-God. Okay, we're going to see that in a little bit. Okay, so, but he says, don't love it. Love means, in other words, don't have devotion to or affection for its values, its pleasures, its pastimes, or its aspirations. Don't put that first in your heart, this world system, loving the way this world operates. He says, don't love that. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love this world system, if that's where your heart is, you can't love God. Because this world system opposes God at every hand, every every angle. Whoever enslaves himself to earthly desires cannot be of God. The heart, one commentator said this, I thought it was good. The heart of man is narrow and cannot contain both. Wow. The heart of man is, is narrow and cannot contain both. You cannot love the world system and God. Jesus said in another place, 
um, you cannot love God and money. You can't. One is going to drown out the other. And it's up to you to determine which one gets drowned out. You cannot love both. He says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The book of James. Uh, first of all, let's go, I'm sorry, first of all, let me go to 1 John, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Wow. He said the whole world is under the influence of the devil. That's, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. That's a powerful thing, to say that the whole world system is influenced by Satan. And we see it. Just turn on the TV. Just get on social media. The whole world system. In other words, the people of the world have no power against the devil. They're under his influence, and they cannot do anything about it because they're not in God. They're not in Christ. But it says the whole world is under system. That's why you see some of the strangest things the world will embrace. And some of the stuff you know is demonic. And the world says, well, what's wrong with that? Why? Because they're under the influence of Satan. And Satan can influence their thinking to think that whatever the, the crazy thing is, they have no, 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 no power to resist the, other than the Word of God, which they don't follow. See, our defense against the world system and believing crazy stuff is Scripture. The Bible is our defense against insanity. But the world doesn't have that. We know that we are of God, John says, God's people, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. This whole world system is under his influence. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. This is Jesus talking. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If this world system and the people under its influence hate you, don't be surprised. He says, verse 19, if you were of the world, if you were part of that system, the world would love you as its own. You notice the world loves their own? When you buck against that system, you see exactly where they are and where you are with them. <laughs> when you say, no, that's wrong, that's sinful, watch their response. If you say that a man can't become a woman and a woman can't become a man, watch their response. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, you don't belong to this system, but I have chosen you out of it. Jesus said, I plucked you out of that system. And because I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you because you no longer are part of them. The Bible says in 1 Peter, they will mock you when, they, when they're surprised that you don't go out and do the same things you used to do with them. They say they're going to look at you like strange. What's wrong with you? What happened? You're strange to them. He said, I've chosen you out of the world, and it hates you. Verse 20, remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Wow. 
if they persecuted me, the son of God, what do you think they're going to do with you? If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name. It's because of Jesus, because of who we are, because they don't know the one who sent me. That's the problem. They don't know God. And so since they can't punch God in the face, <laughs> they look at you wanting to punch you in the face <laughs> because you repeat what God has said. Jesus said, if they listen to me, they'll listen to you. But the world didn't listen to him. They killed him. So that's why a lot of times churches are not full. <laughs> People don't want to hear the truth. But if they do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. James chapter 1. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hmm. That's, he said, now, that's true religion. He says, pure, and this is, I think this is probably one of the only places in the Bible where religion is spoken of in a positive light. <laughs> pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. This is how God sees pure religion. He says, to look after orphans and widows, to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. That's what, part of what the church is called to do social issues like that, to look after widows, orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't allow yourself to be tainted by the system. You got to do both of those things. So you, we're in the world, but not of the world. So we're in the world caring for orphans and widows and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I got to keep myself from being tainted by the system that those orphans and widows are in. We got to do both, only by the power of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the church is called to do both of these things. Serve and keep yourself unstained from the world. Um, back to, yeah, okay. Um, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love both of those things at the same time. Now, then he says, verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. He says everything that is in the world. And he names three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. I call this like the kind of like anti-trinity, <laughs> anti-unholy trinity. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. All right. The lust of the flesh, that's the seat of sin in us, in man. Lust means strong desire. There's a strong desire for, the, for fleshly things. Now, such desires are not necessarily immoral. So everything that you desire in your flesh is not necessarily wrong. Um, we are supposed to desire food and eat, but gluttony is a sin. We desire sex as human beings, but sexual immorality is a sin. Pornography is a sin. So everything that is 
quote-unquote, of our flesh, not necessarily wrong, but, because they can be refined, right? But they are evil if they're inconsistent with the will of God. That's the issue. Your fleshly desires, when they're inconsistent with the will of God, when you're looking at somebody other than your wife to have sex with, that's wrong. Other than your husband. When you're looking at somebody you're not married to, that's wrong. Now, those are fleshly desires that God gave us, but they're inconsistent with the will of God. So they need to be refined. They need to be refined. So it's the seed of sin in man, that which pampers the appetites of our animal nature. That's what our flesh is. It pampers the appetites of our animal nature. And it's called the lust, the strong desire for flesh. Let's look at Romans chapter 13, part of what we read earlier uh, today, earlier um, in our scripture. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't open up an opportunity for your flesh to be satisfied. That's what he's saying. Let us walk with decency, as in the daytime. And he lists all the stuff that we ought to not be doing. Sexual impurity, promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dress up right. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't open up any door that's going to, that's going to feed your fleshly nature. And that, and that can include a whole myriad of stuff, whatever that is. If, 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 if there's certain TV shows you can't watch, turn it off. Certain songs you didn't listen to, shut it off. If it's going to gratify your flesh, turn it off. Jesus said, listen, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right arm offends you, cut it off. Same concept here. Don't make any provisions. I know this is going to feed my flesh, so therefore I'm going to see you opening up the door. Don't give place to the devil, the Bible says. Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give place to him. He said, you know what? I really like her as an actress, but I cannot watch that. I really like him as an actor. I can't watch that movie. I can't. That, that TV show is just too foul. I just can't watch. It just feeds my flesh. That song, it just feeds my, it's just rated X anyway. I just can't listen to that. Seriously, that's what we got to do. That, that, make no provision for it. Don't give it an opportunity. I'm not saying that's going to be easy all the time. But that's what we got to do. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The world wants our love, our time, our attention, and our expenses. The world wants all of that from you. <laughs> it wants your love. It wants you to love it. It wants your time. It wants your attention. And it wants your money. And the world, the world will reward you. There's rewards to be, there are rewards to be gained for following this world system. It will reward you a lot of times. It will give you prestige. It will give you status. It will give you honor, and it will give you comfort. But at what expense? It will reward you. You may have prestige, status, honor, and comfort. 
But when you do that for the world, you lose the prestige, status, honor, and comfort of heaven. God said, you want that world system? Okay, you got it. Don't look for nothing from me. You have your reward. Uh, in James Boyce's commentary here, he quotes a guy named um, Barclay, and I want to read what he says. This is um, James Boyce's commentary on First John. But this guy says, it is to live a life which is dominated by the senses to live in the flesh, all right? It is to be gluttonous in food, effeminate in luxury, slavish in pleasure, lustful and lax in morals, selfish in the use of possessions, regardless of all the spiritual values, extravagant in the gratification of worldly, earthly, and material desires, extravagant in the gratification of worldly, earthly, and material desires. The flesh's desire is, to forget, is, is forgetful of, blind to, or regardless of the commandments of God. I'm going to read that last part again. The flesh's desire is forgetful of, blind to, or regardless of the commandments of God. Your flesh don't care nothing about what God said. Your flesh is not saved. <laughs> your soul is. <laughs> and when your flesh heard that you got saved, it was not happy. <laughs> it gratifies itself. All right. Uh, back to the lust of the flesh. So, the Bible talks a lot about this, but Galatians 5 talks about the, the works of the flesh are these. And it says, uh, the flesh uh, is contrary to the spirit, and spirit is contrary to the flesh, so that you won't do the things that you should. The flesh lusts, it says in the King James. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Even the Bible recognizes this wrestle within us between the flesh and the spirit. I ain't the only one wrestling. <laughs> we all wrestling, right? The flesh lusts against the Spirit of God in you. And the Spirit of God in you lusts against the fleshly urges in you. There's a battle. And the, the lust of the flesh. Romans, says, Romans 8 says, um, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you live in the flesh, you cannot please. It doesn't say it's hard to. It says you can't. <laughs> You cannot please God in the flesh. It says, your flesh is not subject to, to the law of God. Then it says, neither can it be. Your flesh can't obey God. The only thing you got to do with your, your flesh, the Bible says in Colossians 3, is crucify, put to death the deeds of the body. Kill them. The deeds. Don't kill yourself. You kill the deeds of the flesh. <laughs> Whatever that is, put them to death. And the names of it, sexual morality. And it's a lot of it's sexual. The lust of the flesh, the strong desire for fleshly things in this world system. And then he says, the lust of the eyes. And that's the principal avenue of temptation is the eyes, what we see. That's where, the, that's where it starts. That's what gets your flesh all riled up, which you see, men in particular. The lust of the eyes, that's the avenue. And we've seen examples of this in the Bible with David, you know, with Bathsheba. The Bible says he saw her on the roof. 
He was watching her bathe. The lust of the eyes started lusting after her to the point where he called for her. The lust of the eyes. Achan, in the book of Joshua, after the, after the battle, the war where they defeated, uh, they defeated their enemy, he saw all the spoils. And, he, and the Bible, God told him, don't take anything. But Achan, because of what he saw, all of the good stuff that was remained, he took. And it cost the children of Israel. Because he saw. Lot's wife looked back and saw, and she returned into a pillar of salt. The lust of the eyes, which you see. Even Jesus in the temptation, when Satan tried to tempt him, the Bible says it took him to the, to the pinnacle of the mountain and showed him, look at what you can have, Jesus. Look at all of this I can give to you. What's the difference? Jesus never gave in. Was tempted in all points, just as we are, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, yet without sin. Jesus said, no, this is all mine already anyway. What are you talking about? But the lust of the eyes show you stuff. The devil will show you stuff. Look at this. Don't you want that? When I was growing up, there was a saying they used to say, um, and you probably remember, keep, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, in other words, you wanted to, you know, keep up with the people, your neighbors who, you know, you thought had all of the, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Whatever the Joneses had, you wanted. <laughs> you know, you look and see, oh, hey, they got a new car. I need to get a new car. You know, Mrs. Jones got a new, got a new, got a new car. I need to get a new car. Uh, Mrs. Jones got a, you know, uh, 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 iPhone 18. I need to get one, you know. You know, whatever they are, whatever number they are on now, I don't know where they're at. But anyway, it's coming at 18. If you ain't here yet, it'll be here in a minute. But anyway, you lusting, trying to keep up with the Joneses, the lust of the eyes. They see what they got over there. What's your neighbor? What's your coworker got? The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Psalm 119. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Turn my eyes from what is worth as God. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to lust after a woman. Your eyes can get you in trouble. The lust of the eyes. Wanting everything you see. Just because. And then he says... And the pride in one's possessions, the pride in one's possessions, arrogance, vainglory. See, with the, with the, with the, with the, um, the lust of the eyes, you want to keep up with the Joneses. With the pride of life, you want to exceed the Joneses. So he got it, 2022, I need to get 23. I need to get 23. I'm showing up my neighbor, you know, they got this, I need, to up, I need to up my game because I need people to see what I got. The pride in one's possessions. James chapter 4. Um, starting at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. 
Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. That's evil to boast in. What you going to do, what you think you're going to do, and how much you got and all of that. He says that arrogance, arrogance, prideful, it's evil. In the Old Testament, there's a story in the book of Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar. Let's read it, starting at verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power for my majestic glory? I'm doing that on purpose. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. It's God talking. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. That's what God said. I'm the one who put people in office. Presidents, kings, all of them. That's me, Nebi, not you. Verse 33, at that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Can you picture this? Sounds like a Stephen King movie. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. I was crazy. I got my senses back. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Not mine, like before. It was all about him. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. (laughs) He does whatever he wants. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Whoever going to say to God, God, what you doing? What you think you doing? Who got the nerve to question the almighty God? Verse 36, at that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom. God restored them. And even more greatness came to me. Now... I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens. Now, not myself. Now I praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. And listen to this. And he is able to humble those who walk in what? Pride. He's able to humble those who walk in pride. Vanity, vainglory, boasting about your stuff. God will humble you. Listen, you don't want God to humble you. The Bible never says, ask God to humble you. It never says that. It says, humble yourself <laughs> under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. It never says, pray for humility. You humble yourself so you won't be like Nebuchadnezzar eating grass and having looking like, you know, one of Stephen King's creations. Hmm. He's able to humble those who walk in pride. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, the book of Luke, 
Someone from the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, Jesus said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. I love that verse. He says, be on guard for greed. We have the, the potential for greed. Why? Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Your stuff don't make you. Your life is not wrapped up in your car, your house, your jewelry. That's not life. That's stuff. Nice stuff, but it's stuff. But your life is not consist of your stuff. You still got life without that stuff. Don't be prideful on what you got. It's okay to have stuff, but don't let the stuff have you. You want people to see you driving in that new whatever it is. That's pride. The pride of life. That's flesh. And you know, the TV ads appeal to all three of those. All the commercials we be watching appeals to the lust of your flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of them. Makes you feel like you deserve this, whatever it is they advertising. You deserve a break today at McDonald's. <laughs> you deserve that Big Mac. <laughs> Make you feel like, man, I work, that's right. Now, I'm not saying that we, we can't you know, treat ourselves. I'm not, don't, don't miss my point. I'm talking about pride. But, uh, but, but, uh, but the, the world feeds into that flesh, even with their advertisements. It's not pointing you to God in any kind of way <laughs> at all, ever. <laughs> no matter what they sell, it ain't pointing you to God. Eve, in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, she saw, she partake and she took. She had the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. She saw that it was good and the pride of life that it would make one wise. She saw. There was all three right there with Eve in the garden. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. She saw that it was good for food, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right there in the beginning. We see all three. See, we need to reject the world not just for what it is, but for what it does. Not just because of its system against God, but what it does to us. It drives us away from God. So we need to resist it for that reason alone. The whole system. And it says, ah. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Ain't none of that stuff from God. None of it. But it's from what? The world, this world system. And the world, with its lust, is passing away. Listen, God will never influence you by any of those ways, the lust of the flesh, the lust, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. God doesn't influence you through any of those means, ever. Lot had all three. He had, Lot had status, influence, wealth, and comfort, and he lost it when judgment came. He had all of that sitting in Sodom. 
But when judgment came, he lost it. It was all gone. All gone. God doesn't influence us through any of those means. All right. The world is passing away. The world makes now more important than eternity. They make now more important than eternity. The world is transient. It's, it's passing away. It's not going to last forever. So we can't put, that's why he says, uh, the world with its lust, he put that in there, is passing away. It's transient. It's not going to last forever. So why would you put your hope in something that doesn't last forever? To him, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and a righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I dare not trust the frame of this world system, which hates my God. The world makes now more important than eternity. It's transient. The world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. That's where we all want to live, church, right there. The one who does the will of God remains forever. The possessor of the one, the one who has the possessor of eternal life and heir to all God's riches. That's what we want. We have the possession of eternal life, and we're heir to all God's riches. We're secure. Our happiness is built on something that is secure and can never pass away. The world can't take this joy that I have, the old song, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. They didn't give it to me, and they can't take it away. So we cannot love this world this world system, we have to, to uh, do the will of God and remain forever. We can't live in or walk in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. No matter where we are in our spiritual stage, whether we're fathers, young men, or children, no matter where you are in your spiritual growth, your spiritual stage, we cannot live in the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. As we prepare for communion, we're going to celebrate Jesus' victory over the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in our lives. He conquered, first of all, himself. He didn't live in that realm. We, we don't have a high priest who is, he can not be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yet, unlike us, he never sinned in either of those areas. And we've sinned all the time in those areas. But we're going to celebrate the cross and what it accomplished for us. So we thank God for Jesus who did what we could not do on our own. So we're going to sing a song and then we're going to come back and celebrate together.